have a ball at Faneuil Hall. We love the old town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign. We love the old town team. Oh, the kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast. No baseball, no sports, actually. Although I did watch Tom Brady's Greatest Games Marathon on ESPN ESPN on Sunday to kind of get through these dark times. We are going to keep podcasting and keep you updated on Red Sox news when there is some. And hopefully we'll entertain you as well along the way. I'm Tim McMaster, joined by Lars Anderson. And Lars, I know a week ago you went camping to kind of get away from it all and practice social distancing. Did you get away? this weekend no they they closed all the state and federal parks oh. uh unfortunately so i had to i just set up a tent in my living room and put on <laughs> put on enya and stared at the ceiling so through my rain fly all right there you go close enough close enough to yeah. uh, to camping all right subscribe if you haven't already give us a five-star review we are excited this week to be joined on the podcast by a Red Sox, we'll call him a legend, Kevin Euclid. Yeah. He is a Red Sox Hall of Famer, of course, currently running Loma Brewing out in the Bay Area. And the Bay Area obviously has been hit hard, California in general, um, with the coronavirus um, ahead of, I think, a, a lot of the country. Um, and and they're not, you can't, brew, you can't go there and pick up a brew, but you can pick one up on the curbside and they may deliver it too. But Kevin Euclid joining us. Kevin, thanks a lot for coming on. Good morning, fellas, or good afternoon if you're on the East Coast. Yes, which is where I am, uh, but good morning for you guys both out there out West. Um, let's start with with the Loma Brewing, and we'll get into a lot of stuff on the podcast. We're going to talk about the Red Sox of back when you guys were there, um, a little bit about current players, and we'll play some games as well. But first off, you, you, know, you started Loma Brewing, I think, maybe three, four years ago at this point, um, outside of San Jose. Um, beer, also coffee. How have you kind of handled the this last month or so as far as being a business owner? Well, yeah, it's been uh, wow. It'll be four years this coming August, so it's uh, it's, time flies when you're having fun. But um, this is not Uh the fun time. Uh, It's been it's been a it's been a rough week. Uh, It's a lot of uh, you know for us personally, we've been working. Uh, There's a six man, well, six man and woman crew right now, um, just kind of doing to go orders, doing. Uh, curbside pickup. Uh, we have four packs that we actually got lucky and canned last Friday, uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And those have been selling really well. So we've been able to provide for our patrons that need a little bit of a beer during this time uh, because I think everyone needs one right now. But um, we, uh, we've been just, we've just been trucking along and trying to do our best. The hardest part is just we have so many hourly employees that we had to let go uh, until we can reopen again. So We've been raising money for them. Every tip uh, that we get from curbside pickup is going to our hourly staff to help provide for them uh, until we get back open. Yeah, and hopefully uh, opened up uh, sooner rather than later, but I think it's going to be a a little bit for sure as we all try to stay safe and and get through this thing. Um, I know you've been, you're you're on Twitter, uh, Greek God of Hops, obviously the play on the Greek God of Walks, um, and you've been pretty active. I wanted to play this little clip for you, you, because you kind of channeled your your Boston time uh, for St. Patrick's (laughs) Day. So let's listen to this little (laughs) clip from Twitter. Hey, what's up, kid? Just want to say thank you so much for staying open during these tough times. You know, we got to stay positive. You know, it's, it's, uh, I can't stay positive these days. Oh, been a tough year. Mookie Betts got traded to the Dodgers. Tom freaking Brady is no longer going to play for the Patriots. What's next? Tuka Rask is going to leave the Bees? 
Oh, God. That'd be terrible. <laughs> but hey, I need some of that appeasement. St. Patty's Day, baby. Got to get this green. Go green, baby. Loma Brewing Company. Love ya. <laughs> Lars, give him a, a one to ten grade on the accent. Oh my god, that's so good. That's a ten for me. I, I haven't heard that accent in a while. And um, well, you hear you hear you hear Lars. You know, he's like maybe you, there. You go, there you go. Uh, yeah, that's great, man. And one thing I wanted to bring up was the toast to Pete Frades, um when when Pete obviously tragically um, passed away from ALS after the long battle and all the great stuff he did. Um, you kind of got the ball rolling on the toast to, to Pete, uh, where everyone, I guess it became kind of a national thing, but I know it was huge in Hello. Boston, obviously, and where you are out there. How did that come into your mind just to kind of pay tribute to this guy that, that did so much during his battle with ALS? Yeah. So my, one of my closest friends is the head coach at Boston college and Mike Gambino. We've been, uh, we played together with the little spinners, and uh been ever since that day of having been locker mates uh we've been you know we've stayed in touch and uh, i got to meet pete through mike uh when he was a coach at boston college and pete played against us in spring training and um so i i got to know pete before all the als stuff happened so that that was kind of a a very unique thing because a lot of people saw him after and uh he got he he came to be you know, huge around the country. And I think Mike was telling me uh, that I think I was one of the first ice bucket challenge people uh, that did it. And I, I still remember doing it in my front yard, but uh, Pete just, Pete just was an unbelievable spirit uh, with face with just one of the worst things you could face uh, being told you have ALS. And he, till, till his dying day, he just fought for it. He advocated for so much good that we hopefully find a cure for it and uh i just want to honor pete for all of his work and all of his courage uh in, in dealing with uh the adversity they had to be dealt with but you do you've done a lot of like charity work and i was you know you you talked about like uh kind of your jewish background being a um a catalyst for that can you talk a little bit about that like what the, the how that factors yeah. into the jewish faith yeah so it's performing a mitzvah so you know you, you we you know, when you're a young kid, you re- you're learning about religion in different ways, and you know every kid has a different understanding or a different belief, kind of. And, and there's so many different beliefs out there. But even within your own religion, there's different ideologies and beliefs. And but the one cool thing that we got taught from an early age was giving back, uh, performing a mitzvah. Um, you know, the one thing was sadaka, so you give your coins. Um, so if you had loose change or whatever in your pocket, you would give some loose change to people in need. And they really appreciate about that. And uh, that's, you know, I'm not a very religious guy per se. Um, I, I consider myself Jewish till my dying day because of the culture and, the, and everything else surrounding it. Uh, I still believe in that. Um, so, but I think that was one of the coolest things that I learned from growing up is how to get back and how to have a heart and, and, you know, and empathize with people that are in need. Yeah, definitely. Have you have you seen anything about the the Jewish team qualifying for the I have. Olympics? I, I've definitely followed. I just saw something about Ian Kinsler getting his uh, Israeli. Um, I don't know if it's a visa. I don't know if, or his citizenship maybe. Um, so he might have got a citizenship. Uh-huh. So um, I, I I was almost involved in the last go around with Team Israel, but uh, my my mother in law was going through breast cancer and I had to be there for my kids because my wife was always going up there for her chemo um, so it didn't work out but who knows I mean who knows if the Olympics will happen this year but I would love to help out any way I can right 
Dude, any any like buddy reach out as like a offer you like a player coach kind of role? Well, definitely not going to be a player. Could we see a re- could we no, see a no, return? No playing no? for me, man. I I have another herniated disc in my back, and my days are over. I'm 41 years old, right and there's a lot of good young Jewish ball players that need to take over the reins. Dude, I played with one of your former teammates. He was 45, <laughs> so you know there's a few, still a few years left. Yeah, not this guy. My uh, my back unfortunately is is not the healthiest, and. Uh, I had a good run, so I'm, I'm leaving it up to the young bucks. I, I guarantee there's a there's a guy that's in his 20s that can perform at a high level more than I could. For sure, I can throw BP though. Kind of staying with the baseball thing, I've been having like baseball. I think it's because it's like spring training time. I still have like dreams that I'm playing baseball. They're usually like nightmares <laughs> of like like I get to the field late because like my shoelace broke and then I went to the clubhouse, but the clubhouse was locked. So I tried to go to my car, but I couldn't find my car keys. And by the time I get back, like the game's already started and like (laughs) I'm on the bench. Do you still have like, do you still have those kind of dreams? I hated that dream. I don't know. Actually, that's a good, I hated (laughs) that dream. Like, Oh my God, I don't have my, my equipment. I'm got, I don't have my uniform and then I don't have my, yeah. Oh, those dreams are the worst. Um, it's so funny that we all had those dreams too. It's like you're going up to the plate, you're naked, or you're going up, yeah. And, and that Bull Durham, <laughs> you know, scene where he is on the mound naked is is so true. Um, uh, no, yeah. I don't. I don't think I have those dreams anymore as much as I used to. But man, I was always so paranoid about being late, or you know, I was. It, it was my yeah. turn to bat, and I couldn't get. I like couldn't get out the door. Like it was the weirdest dream. You know, it's like. I'm in the locker room. I'm running, trying to push that door open. And it's like locked, and I'm like, Can, "Who's got the key?" You know. And uh, yeah, there's just so many of those bad dreams. Uh, but it must be just because <laughs> it's so ingrained that we played baseball every day for seven, eight months at times. Yeah, those dreams always like really kicked up for me. Like the you know January, February, right before spring training. I think it was like anticipatory anxiety. Like, am I am I really ready? You know, like. I've been doing so much, but like, you know, last finishing touches of just like, am, do I have it all together? And, but for some reason I'm still getting tortured by them. Like I'm <laughs> seriously having like one to two a week. And it's like, I wish I could communicate with like the dream giver, or whoever, whatever entity controls that and be like, okay, like I'm not playing baseball anymore. You can yeah, knock it off, this, man. You know? I don't need this don't anxiety need anymore. anymore. I had enough yeah, anxiety when so I play baseball, you know, it's killing me. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't need that like haunting me anymore. That's yeah. awesome, though. It's so funny that you had the same thing. Though I think probably a lot of players uh, share that. You as know, well, it's though. true. There's so many stories of dreams, and it's it's yeah. You know, the mind is such a powerful thing, and it's such a big part of baseball. Um, to me, it's the separator. Um, I don't know how you feel, Lars, but yeah, I, I feel like talent. You know, you get to Double A, you play at Double A, and you can play at that level. And then the big separator is just the the mind. Uh, that gets you to the top. Um, some guys, it's talent alone, but uh, even that, uh, I think the mind is is everything uh, in in professional sports. Yeah, I think we're getting a, a deeper understanding of that. Um, I know just from my own my own career, my my mental uh, skill set or lack thereof was really held me back for many years, and I, I didn't really get the mental stuff down until late in my career when I, it was already kind of too late. You know, I was like, I wasn't not too late, but you know, you're 28 years old back in double a. And it's like, I wish I, I wish I had this when I was, I wish I was this mentally tough or mentally together when I was 20 years old, and like really had a shot to like make an impact. But, um, it seemed like that was part of your game. That was, um, pretty squared away. I, I, I was doing a bit of stalking on, um, Wikipedia <laughs> and 
I remember I've told I've told a lot of people the story like those years with the Red Sox uh, with you, David, Manny, P- PD. Um, I th- I think like watching you hit it was like watching of of war in real time. You know, like sweat dripping off your fl- face, like blood coming out of your ears. You know, <laughs> like just like it was. And and you said in I, I don't have the direct quote, but basically the to paraphrase you, you're like my my job is to like make the pitcher work like foul balls off take pitches like grind at bats out that's like that is my job and it was interesting to hear you say that it wasn't my job is to square balls up or my job is to drive in runs it was my job is like make this guy's life a a living hell for my at bat and I I found that to be like oddly inspiring I don't know maybe you can talk to that yeah well I think that's uh you know and (laughs) This is one of the biggest problems I see in today's game, and not to say our game was better and all that because these guys are bigger, faster, stronger. They do a lot of other things a lot better, um, and we did better. We and when I was playing, we did things better than the generation, whatever. But the overall part of the game that is missing a lot, what I see is that selflessness, um, knowing that it's about nine guys right. versus that one guy, and those guys in the bullpen that are going to come out there, and they're going and they're and. And you need to you need to get to that bullpen, which is different though now too. Is you kind of don't want to get to that bullpen in some ways. So the game right, is changing right, in that regard. Right, right. But yeah, yeah, you still want to get yeah. to that bullpen, even if they're really really good and they throw ninety five to one hundred. I want to wear those guys out too in the first game, because if I'm if we're wearing those guys out in the first game, that means they're not going to be able to pitch all three games. So my big thing was right. understanding that. Just because you get a good pitch early in the bat, everyone's like, oh, you might only get one good pitch. Well, good hitters adapt. Good hitters adjust. You have to figure out a way. And sometimes if you foul off balls, if you fight, if you take that pitch, that pitcher's pitch that's two inches off the plate, that pisses that pitcher off. All of a sudden now he's, he's, he's mentally flustered. He had you 0-2. He had you on the ropes. Now it's full count. And now he feeds you a fastball or right. he feeds you a good pitch that hangs and you drive it. So I was always under the impression that, like, no matter what, if I keep battling, if I keep staying within what I know how to do well, I'll get something to do eventually within the three at-bats I face him or even in that one at-bat I face him. But I'm not going to give up an at-bat early in the count in order to gain for just my self-worth, you know, because we need to work as a team and – you have to work the pitcher's counts up. You have to go in there every day thinking, how are we going to make this guy mentally just be worn down? Like, I want that guy worn down mentally more than physically at the end of the game. Sure, and you, you could see that you could see that manifest with those really like potent offensive teams that you played on where, like, after the pitcher got through, like, PD and you, like, guys like David and Manny had a – we're going to have a better shot, you know, cause like he, he had to work so much. And I, I think like that, that, like you said, nine guys versus one, there's a lot of strength that there's a lot of strength in that. And I think those teams prove that, prove that over and over because they're always at the kind of the top of the league in run production. And I just know, like for me personally, as a hitter, my barometer of how, how good I was feeling was if I was comfortable getting to two strikes, I knew that like I was feeling pretty good at the plate when I was really struggling. Like I, 
one of the at bats to be over quicker because I just wasn't comfortable hitting with two strikes. But like when I was going well, I was like, I'm fine with two strikes. I'll hit with two strikes all day. And I think that like that that was a lot of feedback to me personally. Yeah, that's that's one of the keys to hitting. Um, you know, young ball players. Uh, like I said, it's a lot of this boils down to the the mental side of it. And being able to understand and grasp it, sometimes it comes early, sometimes it comes later. But at some point, you have to realize that you're going to hit with two strikes. Um, it's going to happen, and right. you got to be comfortable with that. And you got to be under, yeah, it's going to happen a lot in the big leagues. So <laughs> you got to be comfortable with it. You got to make adjustments, and you got to understand the strike zone. Uh, there's, there's, there's more to like, you know, and that, and that's one of the big teaching points I talk about is early in the count. You need to have a fixated small window of your like your drive, like drivable pitches, the pitches that you handle well and drive well. That should be your focus, and you need to limit the space. I say it's like a circle. You know, you draw a little circle within that, uh, you know, that K box or whatever that's called. Um, you know, it needs to be a small window of what you want early in that bat. Later in that bat, you don't get to choose with two strikes. You got to protect. But the key to me is understanding and knowing what part of the strike zone you do well in and then understanding how that pitcher is pitching that day. And if you don't, and you don't do your homework, you don't watch video of that pitcher. If you're not doing it, you're not giving yourself the best chance to formulate a game plan. Uh, so, you know, I watched a lot of video of pitchers. Uh, I watched a spin, I watched movement and I watched what they did in certain counts and certain hitters. So, being a student of the game is not always just looking at your swing and, and trying to perfect your swing. Right, the greatest right. players look at the opposition and see what they do well and then formulate a game plan against that opposition. Is it fair to assume that you're not a big fan of the the launch angle revolution here and everybody just trying to get the ball up in the uh, air? No, I mean, every the, the thing that's... Okay, so the thing that drives me nuts about launch angle is every single time you hit the ball, there's a launch angle. So it's not like there's launch angle. Like Babe Ruth had launch angle, right? Um, the thing that drives me nuts is focusing on exit velocity and, and focusing on launch angle together. Well, if I would have hit the ball harder, it would have been a homer. It was like, yeah, yeah, we get that. We all know that. Yeah, you fly out to the warning track. We understand the scientific data that would say, oh, this is how you hit a homer, right? It's, it's, it's just a lot of the stuff's rhetorical. Now we just have cool information for a lot of people that like the. See, to me, a lot of it is the analytical people, the very smart, intelligent minds that think that's the coolest part of the game. Totally fine. If that's a part of the fan base that grows, that's great. But my biggest problem is there's young kids that are now working on swings to try to create launch angle. Young kids need to l learn how to square the ball up, just hit line drives. Mm progress as you grow older get bigger get stronger and to learning how to drive the ball in the gap but i remember when we were young kids if there was the one kid that could hit home runs and no one else could no one really talks about that kid a lot usually he was six foot at the age of 10 you know and then he died off <laughs> right and we all have those stories i mean we all have those stories from our youth my thing is i'm not anti you know i, I i've come to understand a lot of this I, i've researched it and done a lot with um breaking down a lot of this new technology and stuff. It's just, we need to build a foundation of players at a young age to love the game. We are creating too much. When you're chasing numbers, and Lars, I think you can attest this. When you chase a number and you keep failing, you're going to do something 
to try to change it. Now, sometimes when you try to change it, it could be detrimental in the long run. So for me, I like it where guys go out there and they just learn from their mistakes and just keep building on it and trust in the process. A lot of changes take a long time in baseball. They take years of you know getting to the, the development side. Now we're like looking for the Google search and being like, I want an answer today on why I'm not hitting the ball this way. And you're not going to find it sometimes. Every once in a while, you you flip the switch on and, and you like, oh, wow, I just did that. Wow, that's cool. But then it's short-lived. And then you got to figure out how to keep it you know, going and keep learning. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just, um, you know, starting, starting there and then going, going to the major leagues, there's like a lot of... Um, it's such an interesting process for me to watch, uh, having having lived both lives. But I, I remember watching you play as a. You're talking about that passion and talking about kind of cultivating that with young players. I remember watching you on TV and being like, "That guy's a maniac," <laughs> and I'm, you know, like that guy's crazy. And then I met you, and you were like one of the more like level-headed people in professional baseball that I met. Like I, I thought, I thought your perspective about like what is important in life and in baseball was like, you know, very sound and reasonable. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, can you, it, it's so interesting to, to meet people that you've watched on TV and have their personalities be different. And I, I met you like, um, later in your career. Um, I guess I'm wondering, do you feel like you were able to have like a broader perspective as you played longer or you were always like that. And just your, your personality on TV, watching you play baseball is yeah, well, what it is. You know? Yeah, no, Does that question make sense? Sense? Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. A lot of people, um, you know, Punto, his wife always, she was, she, Nick Punto, one of my close buddies and, um, in the game, his wife always says, man, I always have to like tell people like, he's not an asshole. Like, <laughs> you know, because everyone would watch me on TV and see a whole different person. And she's like, can you stop acting that way so I stop defending you? And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but, yeah, no, I was a maniac on the field. That was my mindset is every single day I want to kick that team's ass across the way. I don't want to beat them 4-3. to three. I want to beat them 14-3 to three every single day. I want no room for error where we cannot lose this game. Uh, so... Yeah, I think my mindset on the field was passion, was was all out, as hard as you can play. I grew up with Pete Rose, so that was that was a mentor for a lot of us young you know players in Cincinnati. Right. That's what we did. We played out like Pete, like, and so when we took the field, we had to be Pete Rose. Our dads expected it, and that's who we were. But yeah, I think you know that was that was you know as I got older. You know, I think I had to, you know, calm it down a little bit more and stuff and, and understand it. And then, but for me, and I think Lars, you know, you can attest to this. A lot of times why I got frustrated and mad was I was mad at myself. You know, like people like thought I was always yeah, mad at like definitely. something else. Like, yeah, there was times I was mad at umpire, you know, I thought it was a bad call. Sometimes they were, sometimes they were right with the call. Sometimes they were wrong, but I was always pissed because I just wanted an edge. I always want to be better. I always thought I could do better. So my frustrations a lot were kind of, you know, self-inflicted in a lot and the way I just wanted to always be better. You know, nothing was handed to me. You know, I, I had to work my butt off. And so right. I just felt that every single time I play the game, I have to be at a higher level because I'm surrounded by these super talented 6'3", you know, 210-pound dudes that are just super, you know, 
super athletes, you know, and I just, you know, that was my mindset a lot. And as you grow and you, you start having a better understanding, and that's the cool part of maturing as a baseball player too, is you get to play with different guys, different personalities, and then you kind of just grow and, and learn along the way. But the one thing that I always try to do is always try to be humbled. Um, just always try to be, you know, it didn't matter how much money I made, how much fame I had. I just always wanted to be just that level-headed guy as much as I could be. I didn't think I was better than anyone. Um, I didn't deal with fame that well either, uh, as Lars can attest to in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> it wasn't something that I loved because I, I just didn't – I never saw myself as being better than someone. Yes, I was making more money. Yes, I was living my dreams, but I didn't see myself in that in that realm. You mentioned having to kind of work for everything you got, and maybe there was a chip on the shoulder because of that. Uh, your brother-in-law came from a similar kind of situation, and that's Tom Brady for people that don't realize that, um, you know, the 199th pick and all that. It's been an interesting couple of weeks for him. Did you have any inside information along the way, or were you as surprised as all of us when he made the decision to head down to Tampa uh, Bay? I knew of the teams uh, that he was looking to sign with, but we found out literally like the same day everyone else did. So... Um, the problem is that, you know, the, no one can hide anything anymore. Uh, teams are the ones, yeah. you know, telling reporters and agents and players, who knows? I mean, it's, it's crazy how people get information and put it out there. So we found out, uh, the same day everyone else did. So, um, kind of cool for him to have a new opportunity. Uh, same, you know, like I said, he's the same kind of mindset as myself and chip on the shoulder was never handed anything, had to work for it. Um, and you can use that, and you. But you also got to be smart. You got to know how to use the chip on your shoulder in the right ways, because sometimes it can be detrimental. Yeah, that makes a that makes a whole lot of sense. And and I think it's been neat the last week because New England as a whole kind of saw this coming, I think, and they were able to just kind of give him a big thank you. And it doesn't seem like there's there's anything other than that. It's just like thank you for everything. And I think obviously when he comes back, it'll be a, uh, a hero's welcome in New England. And I think he'll, uh, he'll appreciate that then um, as well. Tournaments have been canceled, leagues suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's really only been about a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away Completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they're still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. In fact, we actually have a Slack channel started up called Let's Get Weird. Just as many weird ideas as you can throw in there, and, and they're piling up. So we got great stories out there. The entire NCAA tournament recreated through a 10-year-old video game. Of course, the latest on NFL free agency. And how would Major League teams fare if their mascots were thrown into battle? It's during times like this that The Athletic can keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see... For yourself, the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us to all sports, those don't go away. So go to theathletic.com slash wickedpod for 40% off an annual subscription. We should get to the current state of the game a little bit. Um, we've talked on this. Lars, we've talked about the Astros, the cheating scandal, um, and, I, and I know your take. Uh, you, what was kind of your thought process when you heard about that? Would you have succeeded more hearing a trash can bang when you were in the batter's box, or would you have preferred to not, not be in that situation? 
hundred <laughs> percent. You can bang on that trash can anytime you want, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, hundred percent. It, it, it's, it's more for off speed pitches, yeah. you know, cause you're looking fastball most of the time, especially nowadays with guys throwing hard. I mean, some guys cheat, uh, you know, I played with a guy like Kevin Millar. He was a guesser. He was a guest hitter, was good at it. Um, he talks about his days of catching in the minor leagues that help him be a really good guest hitter and learning how to call game. So, you know, I, th- you know, for me, it was just such a disappointment. Um, a lot, I, the players are very much to blame. The coaches are much to blame, but I side on a different thing in this than a lot of people. And a lot of people don't, I, I, I believe the players are hundred percent at fault, but Jeff Lunau and his gang of individuals that came up with the algorithm and did the Excel spreadsheets without those, those guys wouldn't have had it. So, um, I, I'm I hold them a little bit higher, um, but the players, you know, the players, what they did was uh, bad, and they and the coaching staff and whoever did, you know, was a part of it was bad. But I really believe that we're letting a lot of people, and I'm 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 actually kind of worried if there is any individual still working with the Astros that was a part of this in any way, um, and they still have a job. Uh, that that'd be very interesting to see. Yeah, that's a good point, um, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the the Red Sox stuff still yet to come out, um, but but we'll see where that goes from here. As far as the Red Sox and this current team, uh, I know you're not like a watching every game every night um, fan of the team, you, but you're still you know a fan of baseball and you pay attention. Um, when you look at this current Red Sox roster, um, is there a guy that that's kind of a favorite? Uh, of yours and and when you look and you, you kind of root for him for whatever reason or or love his game well yeah i mean it's it's crazy uh you you realize how much older you're getting and how quick the game is passing you by when david ortiz is retired and pedroia is now pretty much on that way with uh, you know his knee injury and which is just it was just so sad to hear um but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I don't watch as much Red Sox because I work with the Cubs now, but uh, Xander Bogarts is probably one of my favorite players on that team. Uh, I've had a, a lot of respect for him as a player and watching him blossom from a young, really young player into what he's become, and it's a lot of fun to watch him. I mean, he's it's, – it's kind of interesting, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel like Xander Bogarts might go under the, the radar more, which is kind of weird being a guy that's in Boston. Yeah. But I think it's because JD and the other guys around him and Mookie. But I think Xander Bogarts is a little more underrated than some put him out there to be. I definitely agree. And even in comparison with like some of the other shortstops in the league right now, like you know Lindor and guys like that, he he is he seems to produce like at the highest level, but doesn't have that same sort of like uh, star power for some reason. But I for me, he's he's my favorite guy to watch play on that team too. Like his his actions in the field, like the ease at which he swings the bat. And also he's like a very, um, I don't know. He's like a calming presence on the field. I think, I think that's important in Boston, especially for like a young guy, you know, he's born and bred or not born in Boston, but he's came through the minor league system with them. And just to, I mean, you know, playing there is, it takes a, a very special individual. And I think it kind of takes like, um, someone with like kind of, a intensity, like you or Pedroia to succeed there or someone who's like, like, super super like calm you know and he seems to kind of have that yeah you know, he, he doesn't seem to get flustered um he seems to be like fully fully in his own mind and i think that that goes well with him so 
Yeah, it's interesting though, like him him playing in such a such a big market and not not having that that kind of notoriety that you would expect. Yeah, I think he just got shadowed out by the other two amazing players that get more of the attention. But uh, I agree. Uh, I think people don't understand that. I've always said this. Uh, people ask me like, "About what do you think about that signing?" You know that to to sign a free agent in Boston is not easy. Um, you got to have thick skin. Uh, I I I think the key to being a Red Sox team being good is is your draft. Um, I'm good buddies with uh, Mike Rickard, uh, who works for the Red Sox. He was a coach of mine in the Cape, and you know he's the scouting director and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I was telling him, like, man, draft well here and, and develop those guys because that's the easiest way to make it and and have success. Is because once you get into the system and you right. kind of see how from each town you go, especially once you get to Double A in Portland, and then, well, I guess it's not Pawtucket; it's Worcester now. But, um, you know, you're around the media a little bit and you're under a little bit of uh, pressure at those levels. And the fan bases there are huge fans of the Red Sox. And, and they and they kind of hold you, you know, to the same standards as playing at the major league level, which is it, it's it's a good way to come up in the system. Um, you, you learn quick and then you learn some thick skin through it. And uh, I think that's the hardest part, too, is weeding out the guys at the free agency. Uh, it's It's not easy to get the right players that can understand and take on the mindset of the fan base, the media, and just the pressures that come with it. But you, what I always say, Lars, is the key is get high-character guys that are accountable dudes. The more accountable the guys are, of a, like a player, and if you do your research correctly, the guys that hold themselves to a higher standard over the fan base and the media will always have success. Right. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point. Like Coming through the system really does kind of um, it, you you build some thicker skin with that as opposed to like you know I I remember and maybe you can speak to this I remember when we signed um uh Carl Crawford you know superstar like amazing mm-hmm. player and he just was not a good fit his personality wasn't a good fit in Boston you know but coming from Tampa and he like he didn't have that like kind of buffering period through the minor leagues like if he was drafted by the Red Sox I wonder if it would have been different but like. It really is important to like the free agents to have that kind of mentality because it's is much like success in Boston is not just about being a good player. Um, unfortunately for some guys, it's there's so much more. But I wanted to ask you, um, you did play for a little bit. You spent one season in New York, I believe. Yeah, it was just one year. Oh uh, yeah, that yeah one year, 2013. So can you like compare and contrast those two? fan bases being playing at home for both those places like what the what the differences are or similarities or whatever yeah um well yeah i didn't get to play a lot because i blew out my back uh, and uh that's a whole nother story in itself but um basically uh yeah no it's interesting uh playing in new york uh you know yankee fans yeah I, I think the fan bases are very similar uh i think you have the similarities with the fan bases and the passion and the uh just wanting their teams to be great and and being very vocal about it. I think the only difference that I really saw was, and both, you know, top, you know, top organizations and take care of their players. That's, that's definitely the key uh, for both Boston and New York. But I think the media was easier in New York than it was in Boston. Um, I, that's the only thing that I noticed was uh, there was, I think in New York, there's just so much going on that the newspapers mm-hmm. and the, you, you can get lost in New York city. Um, and that was just the biggest difference that I saw is, 
yeah, you're, you, they think you're cool because you play for the New York Yankees, but look who's walking down the street next to you. It's a, it's a famous celebrity uh, actor that people care more about. So uh, that was probably the difference that I saw. But, you know, both story franchises that have done a lot of amazing things within the game and the rivalry is, is, is just incredible. The energy and passion around it is always fun. Yeah, it's been cool. It's been back the last couple of years, um, back to to kind of when you were first breaking into the league and how oh, yeah. intense it was uh, back then in oh three oh four oh five and and those those teams. Um, I do want to ask you when you were you were with the Red Sox and there's this um, this hot prospect on his way up, <laughs> Lars Anderson. First mm-hmm. impressions of this kid from California coming up through the Red Sox system. I was like, man, we got Spicoli here, man. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Lars was just uh he, he's just uh, you know a free love, you know, free love and spirit that's just like just always had a smile, was always asking questions. Uh just he just he just he wanted to learn more about the game. So him and his uh sidekick Ryan Kalish, <laughs> uh we had a lot of fun with those two, but you know, they were just guys that they wanted to learn more, they wanted to play the game hard, they wanted just to keep grinding away and i think that was you know the, you know different personalities and i love that i love the different personalities and like you know everyone doesn't have to be the same or think the same and you know these guys were two guys that i, I really enjoy but you know lars you know watching him hit and just you know watching that process and then at first base so i got I, I helped him out a little bit at first base because i don't know how much help i was because i was right-handed he's left-handed which is you know it's a little different but you know some of the basics just trying to teach him you know a little bit about that and and watching him progress and become a better first baseman over the years was pretty cool playing playing first base was a a process for me and uh, it took a while to kind of feel comfortable there at, at a professional level so it was always really helpful being in being in spring training camp with you can um i remember we were taking ground balls one time you know these immaculate fields no bad hops and uh, I think Yuke was kind of ahead of his time with like the workload thing because you know we were out there just like he he would never miss a ball you know <laughs> and he was like kind of like you know you're just frying there we we have a game later on in the day he's like okay like I'm not gonna miss any of these balls we can probably wrap it up now he kind of said to me and we, we had a good laugh about it but it was pretty funny it was just the, <laughs> the sheer amount of ground balls on this immaculate field that would never take a bad hop you know. I was yeah. I was over there kicking stuff off my heels and like I wish I felt that comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you get to that point, you know, later as you just keep working and uh, you know, for me, I took I was a third baseman before, so I felt like th- first base was a lot easier cuz I had a bigger glove and you could <laughs> knock the ball down, but I, I took it, you know, my 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 ground balls are getting beat up were at third base, Lars. So don't worry. I I look I, I felt awful over there some days and felt like, man, there's I have zero chance of being a third baseman in this league. But it's just about just getting in routines and picking the brains of of guys that have been through it. You know, there's little. That's why I always say to you know, a lot of young players have a hard time now. They don't ask questions, and I, I don't understand it. Like I, I get around them like. You're not even asking your teammate a question. Like, go ask them a question about something other than, like, life. Like, ask them a baseball question. Ask them, like, hey, man, like, you know, when you get this short hop, what, what kind of, like, what thought process do you have? Or what, you know, and we had that. You know, we talked about that stuff a lot. And so that's what I tell young players is talk to each other, especially an older player that you look up to. Ask them a good baseball question. And you can learn a lot of valuable things by just asking one question. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, just my experience with you, um, you made that really easy. Not, not, not all veterans are like that, but like you, it seemed like you, I don't know if this was because of an experience you had when you were coming up, but you were always like so accommodating to younger players, just about, about stuff on the field and off the field, really. Like, uh, I, I was always super comfortable um, being open with you about questions that I had about playing, about like, you know, what I should wear on the plane, you know, just silly stuff like that. But you're, when you're, when you're getting called up to the major leagues, like, at least for me, I was trying to kind of fit in right away and not, I didn't want to be like the loud new guy in the clubhouse. I wanted to, you know, assimilate quickly. So it was really nice for like a younger player to have uh, a veteran kind of take him under his wing. And I'm wondering if that was, if that was like a conscious decision that you made when you kind of became an, an established entity in the big leagues. That's actually a good question. I, I don't think it was more of a conscious effort. I think it's more just understanding that when I came up, there was tons of veterans. I mean, everyone had like four and a half years of service time. So for me, it was uh, a lot about just trying to uh, survive. And it was a lot different, you know, man, guys were really hard. I mean, they would bury you. I mean, oh, it was rough. Right. Um, but if they stopped burying you, you know they didn't like you. So it was always good when they were burying you. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I just want to make sure guys, you know, felt comfortable, like in a sense of not like too comfortable, but like make it known that you have to, you have to, you will get the respect of your teammates, but why it's also kind of weird too, is like, Oh, don't talk to him. You're not allowed to talk to him. I'm like, well, that's my teammate, man. We're supposed to go to battle together out there and try to win a ball game, but I can't talk to him. Like that doesn't make any sense. So, um, I, I didn't like that part of it. I thought that, Hey, you know, if, if there's guys that, you know, I want to make sure that guys are doing the right things right. because I know if they mentally are doing the right things, whether it be, like you said, what attire to wear, uh, what time you need to be here, all the more they get good information, the better they will be on the field for us as a team. Now that's the whole because point. Because that's yeah. less anxiety, you know, right. less than the anxiety. There's already a ton of anxiety there. So, you know, for me, it was just lessening the anxiety of all you young guys and, Making sure you guys could help contribute and win ball games. Right. It wasn't just because I'm awesome. <laughs> well, that had something to do with it right. too. I mean, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this rundown uh, that we kind of use to to put together the show each week. Uh, you can, and it's like different bullet points. And Lars has on here Mastiff on private jet. <laughs> oh, yes. um, I don't know how to transition to that, so I'm just throwing it out there. Lars, I don't yes. know. Do you want to tell the story, or if it's for for you? Uh, we'll, we'll, I, we'll get both. We'll get both sides. Go for it, you. Okay. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. So uh, on a, on a yeah. Sorry to be on a somber note that we we had to put that dog oh, down man. about a month ago. Yeah. Oh, no. um, well, this is a that was one of the toughest man. days of my life. Yeah. So this is a tribute to Max. He was a great dog, but. Yeah, I had an Eng I have I had well, I, I had two English Mastiffs just recently. We had to put one down, but I have a two year old Mastiff now. Um, love them. They're just great dogs, great family dogs. But I had this English Mastiff when we were playing, and the problem was I couldn't <laughs> and as Lars can attest, I'm not a private jet type of guy. No. Um, <laughs> I don't fly private jets and um, but I had to get my dog with me to go was this this is going to spring training, wasn't it? Yeah, it was going um, to spring training. Yeah, so I was going to spring train. I had to bring my dog with me. Uh, and so I, I was like, I got to get a private jet <laughs> with his 160-pound with his animal. 
And I was, I'm living in the Bay Area, and I know Lars is there, so I was like, hey, Lars, man, you want to go on this? Uh, you know, I got, I, got a, I got a ride for you <laughs> if you want to go to spring training. <laughs> Little did you know that I was going to bring my Mastiff with me too, and this dog is just sitting there, and he's not – it. He kind of was uh, a little intimidating because he'd bark at people um, to get out of space. But he's in the middle of, like, the, the aisle. Like, the, in private jets, the aisles are tiny. And he's just taking up the whole aisle for, what, like a five-hour trip. But uh, Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty, it was pretty wild, uh, those days of spoiling my English massive, you know, rotten. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That dog cost me a lot of money, but he was well worth it. <laughs> That was a sweet dog. I remember like I was, uh, I always drove from California to Fort Myers. It was kind of like my little rituals, five day drive. And I, I just found it to be like a kind of a, a nice way to start the season and kind of decompress before like the craziness of professional baseball started for eight months. And yeah, I was like a week, a week away from leaving, maybe even less than that. And you hit me up and he's like, yeah, basically, Hey, you want to ride? And I was like, okay, I should probably do this. It sounds like a good experience <laughs> that I can talk about later on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a good trip. And, and but seriously, like if if you can ever fly on a pro- private jet, that's like such a more enjoyable experience than a commercial flight. Oh, I mean, it's ridiculous. If I if I had like Elon Musk money, I would do that a lot. Well, maybe not, but I'm not sure. But it was a uh, it was so much nicer. Yeah, uh, I used to do one of those flights a year. Um, and spoil myself and now that I don't make the income I made before we have canceled and I have and I have too many passengers now so right. we've canceled that all together good old days that's very that's very responsible of you, you I don't want to turn on an ESPN 30 for 30 and see <laughs> see you on a broke episode well happy about that at this point I think we're all going broke if uh, this <laughs> this keeps going so let's hopefully this coronavirus ends quick so we can all get back to making some money living yeah, life get back to get back to selling beer it's, yeah um, you're you're, you're also still with the cubs um you, you want to talk about a little bit just what you do with that with uh theo and company over there yeah so i'm basically like a special assistant type role where i just come to i go to spring training then i come out throughout the year um i've been very lucky i was like i said before i throw bp um so that that's that's one of my specialties as a coach uh, so I got that, uh, which is, is is a good thing to have. For anyone out there that wants to be a coach, if you don't throw BP, it's going to be hard to get hired in a lot of ways. Uh, so, yeah, so I throw BP, hang out with the guys, hang out with the coaches, just uh, assess the players, uh, you, know, work, you know, some of the minor league guys that come up to the games, talk to them, uh, kind of evaluate, watch them. And it, it, it keeps me in the game. And I, I – I went through like a two-year period after that. I was like, "Ugh, man, I don't know if you know baseball, baseball, baseball." And then, you know, lately over the past few years, I, I you, you can't take it away from me. I, I love baseball more than anything. It, it's in me. It's in my blood. It'll always be there. And uh, who knows? Maybe someday I'll coach. But I got a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, soon to be fourteen-year-old, and I want to be in their lives. So I don't know. I, I I hope to someday get back into coaching in some capacity and try it out. But we'll see. So you still have the love of baseball and obviously the love of brew now um, with Loma Brewery. So we wanted to kind of merge the two uh, to finish things off here with a little bit of a game. Um, We're basically going to share a player name, a former teammate of yours, um, and you have to pick the Loma Brewery beer style that best goes with that player. You ready? Oh, yeah, this is going to be tough. 
<laughs> but we'll All get right. it. Uh, we'll, well, we'll, when we'll we put it. this game together, I, I ran it by Lars, and we figured it's either going to be really good or it's going to crash and burn. But, <laughs> you know, either way, it's fun. It's um, like life. It's all good. <laughs> so we'll start uh, here. We'll start with David Ortiz. Which uh, Loma beer is best for David Ortiz? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to have to go with an Imperial Stout. <laughs> and David, David will laugh at that joke because we always tell him how dark he is. But um, it's more because Imperial Stouts are just – they're like home run hitters, man. They're, they're, they're big dogs, you know, and they're, they're tough. You know, they're tough to take down. You know, you take too many down, they'll, they'll knock you down. So he's a big dog. So I'm going to go with Imperial Stout. The broken hearted, the one we have on right now. The bro- I, I love the names. The names of your brews are you have to include them in here, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, broken hearted is after our our last brewer who had uh, who left and went to Scotland. Um, so she made this right before she went. So we broken and then hearted because we we're broken hearted over her leaving. But yeah. So for number two on the list, we have a uh, another salty veteran corner infielder uh mike lowell mike lowell wow um well we don't have any cuban beers (laughs) he was cuban Uh, oh and puerto rican i think um wow well i guess i'll have to go with the the loma vita which is the mexican lager so it's a light lager you know he's a miami guy so lagers are and it's got a little hint of lime so i'll go with uh mike lowell is uh like or Loma Vita, a nice logger. Good for like a hot, a hot day. Yeah, because he likes going South on boats. Florida. Yeah, he's a boat guy and fishing, right. I think. So we'll go with that. All right, number three is, uh, and you mentioned him a little bit earlier in the podcast, but Dustin Pedroia. Ooh, Dustin Pedroia. Small and mighty. I'm trying to think of something that is small <laughs> and mighty. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of the beers we have on right now. What about your double IPA that comes in in less that's the ounces? Greek, that's the Greek out of hops. Yeah, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, I mean, he could, he could take mine, you know? <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah. You're not you're not on this list, so that's okay. Okay, yeah, we'll give him Greek out of hops because we yeah. have to serve it in a smaller smaller glass, 13-ounce glass. It's a good one, Lars. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I got to play next to that guy more than anyone. at first, we, You know, we shared that right side of the infield. So I'm going to give him my beer, the Greek out of hops. Okay, for number four, we have um, the one and only Jonathan Papelbon. Oh, my God. Well, if it's Jonathan Rocker, we got to uh, – wow. We used to call him that in a lot of ways. Pap. He's the closer. So, oof. Man, the closer. I would – you know, after having a closer, that would be like a double IPA or a stout. But uh, let's go with the um, – Holy cow! This, this, like I said, this is a tough game. Oh, so we got a new one out. It's a Peco Persuasion. It's a West Coast, very hoppy. So if you, uh, it's, it's a West Coast and a hoppy guy. Um, you know, Pap was a, a fun-loving dude. So we're gonna go with the Peco Persuasion because it will end your night really well. It's a high. It's like a high seven percent alcohol beer. So it will it will close your night. I'm picturing what him is- uh, dancing after clinching an 07 yeah. on the field. Uh, all right, uh, we got two left. Uh, next one is Ryan Kalish, who you mentioned also, uh, Lars's buddy. Oh wow, Kalish. Well, we'll get since I'm not on this list, we'll give him the jujitsu hazy IPA. 
as a fellow Jewish guy, we'll give him the jujitsu. Well done. That was easy. Very clever. Um, okay, last on the list, definitely not least. This is kind of self indulgent of me, but uh, what do you got for Lars Anderson? Lars, this is actually perfect. We have hazy, a beer. Hazy IPA, maybe? No, no, no. This is even better. We just brewed this beer. Unfortunately, we haven't put it on tap yet because the shutdown happened. But our brewer, Justin Peck, he brewed up this mint blonde ale. Uh, <laughs> yes. Minty like Lars and a blonde like Lars. And the name of the beer is called Makeout Session. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm still working on my first kiss, but that sounds great. <laughs> so, yeah, make-out session after a blonde ale with mint. So, fresh breath, blonde. There you go, buddy. Right on. Right on. So, make sure I to brush you your teeth. you were going to give me the hibiscus schmibiscus. Yeah, well, thing. yeah, that kind, of, that kind of flows with who you are. A little hibiscus schmibiscus. But, yeah, no, this uh, make-out session blonde ale, man. Goes that those, those, right, those blonde locks. I love it, man. I think that was a complete success that game, by the way. We did not crash. <laughs> yeah, that worked better than what we thought. Yeah. That was good stuff. Um, well, yeah. we've we've taken more than enough of your time up, Yuke. I know I know that you have plenty of it right now with everything that's going on, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Good luck with Loma Brewing and getting it back up and running. And if people are out there by the Bay Area near San Jose, definitely swing by for the curbside pickup. Pick up your Loma Brewery. We all need a drink every once in a while through uh, – through this coronavirus so thanks for coming on and talking about all this different stuff yeah thank you guys and no matter where you live if you're listening to this podcast yeah support your local businesses they need your help this time and uh yeah hashtag support local the great Kevin Euclid. He didn't disappoint Lars. Um, we've been um, kind of working on getting him on for a little bit here. Actually, before the virus um, kind of took hold here in the United States, we were hoping to have him on to talk more about baseball getting going. But with Loma Brewing, Brewery and everything, it seemed like a, a perfect time because he's doing so much to try to keep things going out there uh, by the Bay Area. But you said he would not disappoint, and he didn't. What a great guest. Yeah, that was so much fun. Um, it's really... Uh... He has a unique perspective on the game, and um, I'm not surprised that he's so willing to share it, too. It seems like he, he, he cares about like the health and growth of the game, so it's, it's good to have people like that uh, around. Yeah, we'll see if we can get him back, like we said, a little bit later in the season once baseball's going and the Red Sox are back on the field uh, to talk more about the game itself. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Um, we'll be with you, back with you early next week unless some breaking news happens and then we maybe have an emergency podcast. But um, this has been a lot of fun. Follow Lars on Twitter, underscore Lars E. Anderson. I'm there at Tim M. McMaster. We'll talk to you again next time.